1: final week of uh, 2023 the Adam and Jordana show Jordana will be back tomorrow uh to do uh, well the whole show I hope not just dear Jordana we'll figure it out though um really nice comment coming in uh, on the text line 6514619226 just a note before we go to this um interview that we uh, did back in June tough week for you know the being in radio you kind of are a family with other personalities and other at other stations and even though I had never met these two gentlemen, I word today that Pat Eberts, who uh, was a long time uh, on KQRS and also on KDWB, uh, has passed away. And that name is uh, familiar. I never met Pat, um, but my condolences to his family. Also, Ian Punnett, who uh, was uh, on KSTP Talk Station for for many, many years. And I think on um, the talk, maybe uh, 107, too, at one point, he passed away as well uh, And my thoughts and prayers and condolences to uh, those friends and family members of those two uh, gentlemen. Um, Again, uh, too young, too young to, uh, to pass along uh, out of this world at that age. And this time of year, it's especially difficult. So my thoughts and prayers to uh, fans and friends and family of uh, those two gentlemen, this is uh, a time when we look back at some of our more important conversations that we had on this radio show during the year. And back in June, The U.S. Supreme Court made a ruling on whether or not race can be a factor when allowing college admissions. One of those landmark decisions that really had a massive impact uh, in the immediate aftermath with how colleges would admit students. And we, uh, when that ruling was made, we reached out to Timothy Johnson, political science professor at the University of Minnesota, who specializes in in the Supreme Court, to get his reaction to that, not only with how colleges, specifically the university, might change their admissions policies, but how, whether or not that uh, that decision would stand. We started by asking him how this would impact the University of Minnesota.
2: The University of Minnesota will be affected like all other public and private universities um, in the country, uh, and that is that they will no longer be able to take race into effect. Uh, into consideration when they are choosing whether to admit particular students uh, to their universities. Uh, Up until about an hour ago, or just under an hour ago, um, universities could take race into account in the same way that they might take into account whether you are a legacy student, that is, your parents or one of your parents have gone to that university, whether you are a good athlete or a good musician. Race was just another one of those factors, and today, Race has to be taken off that list. And so every admissions uh, office in the country at every university and college is going to have to change how they conduct their admissions process.
3: There's a great question from one of our texters that I just want to read to you, sir. Does affirmative action work by denying admission to Minnesota tax-paying Asian and white students in order to recruit black students from out of state? This is a text question, but it's a great question. What is the response?
2: It's a really good question. I mean, the, the issue is that the, the data seem to indicate and have indicated for decades upon decades that um, students of color who are not of Asian descent um, usually and and all, all, almost always enjoy uh, less uh, ability to get into colleges and universities. And so this is not a matter of admitting Folks within the uh, from out of state uh, at the expense of people who are within the state, um, no matter what their race is. Um, the program was simply meant to increase diversity of all races um, at colleges and universities.
1: The fact that uh, the that more people of color are just becoming part of our population, and that years from now it'll be, you know, those numbers will keep going up. Is it as some who would support this decision today? Is it time that this law go away?
2: Well, it's interesting, um, because if you look at uh, Justice Sotomayor's dissent, um, essentially, she says that it is relatively perverse to use the 14th Amendment, as the Chief Justice did in his majority opinion, to say that we do not want to treat pe- people equally. Now, the argument of those in favor of affirmative action is not that this is a redress uh, for grievances in the past or of your ancestors, but that we know that people of color have systemic issues that keep them from achieving the same goals that others do um, in their high schools, and that then turns around and makes it more difficult for them to get into colleges and universities. That's what the 14th Amendment, in Justice Sotomayor's uh, opinion, uh, is meant to protect. And the Chief Justice, in in her argument, sort of turns that on its head and says, no, you're doing exactly what the text are sent into you all, and that is you end up discriminating against other racial groups um, by trying to help out these other racial groups on the other side of it. So it is a really, really difficult issue. And what I will say is that from the University of Minnesota to the University of North Carolina to Harvard University, race will continue to be a factor. And in fact, the Chief Justice's conclusion in his majority opinion says, This opinion, and this is how he softens the blow to sort of gutting the precedent that has existed since the early 1970s, race can still be a factor, but it has to be a factor in a very specific way.
3: We're speaking with Timothy Johnson, political science professor at University of Minnesota, address that. What specific way and is it, it's now incumbent upon the college or university whether or not like they're still allowed to use race? You know, is that correct, by the way, uh, Professor Johnson, are they they're allowed to use race? And then what specific way does he lay it out?
2: Right. So they're not allowed to use race in the way that it was used in either the Fisher case from 2016 or Grutter versus Bollinger from about a decade before that. Um, the way that it would be done is on an individual student basis. And so what a student would need to do is say, look, I am, for example, African-American. And as such, I grew up in a community that was much poorer, that had lower test scores in its high school. that was a high school where there was a lot more violence than other high schools. And that." That growing up existence for me made my life more difficult. But look, I still got a 4.0 grade point average, and you should admit me. So it would have to be done on an individual student basis, and it has to be in the chief justice's words about life experience rather than about race. Now, the other side of that, a student would argue, and in fact, I saw one student arguing on ABC News this morning, um, right after the decision, who said all you need to do is know that if I have a different different color skin, that all of those things that the Chief Justice is describing are happening to be anyway. And the Chief says, no, you've got to lay that out in your essays for admission.
1: Timothy, uh, my question is this applies. this applies to higher education. And what effect does this have, if at all, on employment, on people hiring uh, for, for, for jobs uh, that race be considered... When hiring for, for positions uh, in employment?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Carter. So, this opinion does not address that in any way, shape, or form. This is simply about admissions to colleges and universities. Um, and so, that is a question quite literally for another day.
3: A good answer, by the way, Tim Johnson. That's who we're talking to, a political science professor at the University of Minnesota.
1: But we'll, on that note, I mean, are there cases that are coming before the Supreme Court or have been heard? in front of the Supreme Court that will challenge that, or does this give new uh, momentum for, for types those types of cases?
2: Yeah, that's a good question as well. I mean, I suppose it does suggest that there would be more momentum. I don't know of any cases that the court is... That, that have percolated that sort of the language that the justices use all the way up to the Supreme Court yet. Yeah, but I can guarantee you that somewhere in our state judicial systems uh, of all 50 states and in the federal judicial system that those cases do exist. And yes, I think you're right, Carter, that that would give those cases more w- momentum. Now, the only people who decide whether they're going to decide those cases are the nine who are currently sitting on the bench. So time will tell whether or not they now want to go to employment law and employment affirmative action as well as, or to tack on, if you will, to university and college-based affirmative action.
1: Timothy Johnson, political science professor at the University of Minnesota, like many other people referring to me by my last name. Good job, Carter. All good. Most people call me, I I can count on one hand, the people who've addressed me as Adam Uh, through my entire life. Mostly it's Carter. Uh, Very good conversation with Timothy Johnson, political science professor, about this uh, Supreme Court decision, uh, eliminating race from a determining factor in college admissions. We'll continue that conversation next on News Talk 830 WCCO. Continuing our conversation on a race as a determining factor in college admissions, of course, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruling this year that it should not be a determining factor we talked to Timothy Johnson, University of Minnesota professor who specializes in Supreme Court decisions on the, the ruling and on what it means for not only colleges and universities around the country, but, of course, the University of Minnesota. This has already been top of mind because if you remember earlier in the year, Steve Swigum, uh, University of Minnesota regent, made the comments during that uh, meeting about whether or not in, in addressing drop in enrollment, whether or not schools were too diverse. And we talked to, uh, we asked uh, Timothy Johnson about that uh, when we talked to him,
3: Professor Johnson. Last year, Steve Sfigum, who was um, on the University of Minnesota Board of Regents, uh, made a comment that caused a lot of stir about the Morris campus maybe becoming uh, too diverse. Here's what he, here's what he said.
1: And as an institution of the university, we like to promote, and we need to promote, and it's important to promote. As a campus, and as an institution of the university, we like to promote, and we need to promote, and it's important to promote DEI and diversity. Is it possible that at Morris we've become too diverse?
3: He got a lot of flack for that statement, and uh, you, as being a possibly racist statement, you know, he he got a lot of flack. For that, first of all, did you think that the university, the Morris campus was too diverse? Is that even possible?
2: You know, not not being a professor on the Morris campus, I don't actually know the numbers and how diverse it is, although, I, you know, they they were in the news and they were clearly in the news a a lot after Mr. Sviggum made those comments. Um, I would argue, and I think Carter sort of alluded to this, and that is that in this day and age, with our society getting more and more diverse racially, ethnically, religiously, and many other ways, um, that it is probably very difficult to have a campus uh, in this country right now that could be considered too diverse.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the, what? Obviously, this was issued an hour ago, but from what I've right. read so far uh, with the vote, the 6-3 vote, Uh, Anything stand out, surprise you about either uh, the the majority opinion or in the dissenting opinion about how those votes aligned or some of the comments made? Or is this pretty much what you expected?
2: No, this is what I think scholars, court watchers, uh, members of the news media were expecting. Um, It's it's right along. I don't use the word that justices are partisan because this is not about partisanship. It's about ideology. And those actually have two distinct meanings um but it was straight down the ideological spectrum if you will the three liberals dissented the six were in the majority um two interesting things uh one probably not that surprising that is when the opinion was read from the bench all of the justices who write opinions can read their uh, their individual opinions justice thomas took a very long time writing or reading his concurring opinion he has a lot to say about affirmative action The other interesting thing is that the chief justice, and and I generally, because I'm not a law professor, I'm a political scientist, I don't read the footnotes as closely as law professors do, but there's one interesting footnote, and that is that the military academies in this country are exempt from this decision. And the reason the chief justice said they're exempt is that the court actually believes, and there are six votes that that signed onto this footnote, um, that diversity is probably quite important for uh, what is known as... um, uh, 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 the the um, making sure that our military and the upper echelons of the military is diverse to make sure that our military is as strong as humanly possible.
3: Hmm, interesting. So it's important for yeah. the military, but not necessarily important for our universities.
2: Yeah, that's why it's an interesting footnote.
3: Yeah, uh, Professor Johnson, what did Clarence? I, I don't know if you read Clarence Thomas's entire writing on this, but what were the takeaways?
2: You know what? I actually have not gotten his concurring opinion yet. The opinions altogether, I don't know if the two of you looked at them yet, are 237 pages. (laughs) Um, And when I got the call to hop on with you all, I was probably about 15 pages in.
3: (laughs) Let me ask you this. You are a political science professor at the University of Minnesota. What is your reaction to this uh, decision? How will it change your classes, if at all? And how has affirmative action affected the University of Minnesota Twin Cities (laughs) campus?
2: Yeah, so I think that if you look at the data, the data are pretty clear um, that that minority students, students of color, um, will be admitted less often, if you will, in fewer numbers. Um, when um, uh, the state of Michigan Michigan got rid of using race-based admissions at all um, in 2006, those numbers went from. Um, students of color being about 7% of the population on their state campuses down to about 4%. So there was a big decrease, a 3% decrease. Now, we don't know what the effect will be on Minnesota yet. We're a different state than Michigan is. We might be able to see admissions counselors, as all universities are going to do, try to figure out how to account for students' backgrounds, which would include race, without saying that it's race. Um, but I would expect in the end not only for the U of M, all and all the coordinate campuses, but also for colleges and universities across the country, that you will see a market decrease um, in students of color being admitted to colleges and universities. And that could be short term where admissions uh, counselors correct for the problem and try to figure out how to to reattain that diversity. Or it could be in the long term. And again, not having a crystal ball only time will tell.
3: Professor, a lot of people who are not a fans of affirmative action say, oh, somebody just because of the color of their skin took my kid's place, even though my kid may have been a better candidate. Do, have you seen that in your classes? That somebody just because of their color was admitted when they weren't deserving of admission?
2: Never, I've never seen that. And and I simply because I don't know what happened with admissions processes before students get into my classes, um, I don't see that. But what I will tell you is that the University of Minnesota has some of the best students in this country. Um, And I tell my students all the time that they can sort of pat themselves on the back because they are getting an education from one of the best state universities and one of the best universities overall in the nation, if not in the world. And they can say to themselves, we are doing the same things that students at Harvard and Yale and Brown and Duke and Stanford are doing, and we're winning the same awards. And so we just have tremendous students. And so by the time they get to my classes, I wouldn't be able to tell whether that's the case or not. But what I do know is that I love the students I have, and I love working with
1: them at the U of M. Timothy Johnson, political science professor at the University of Minnesota, reacting to that June decision that basically says, well, you cannot examine race As a factor in college admissions, and the way schools will and will continue to, I guess, get around that if they if they choose to, is you know in these essays that students file. And David raises an interesting conversation too, that I think we're still coming to grips with. And Texters are, are chiming in, is that our first of all in this day and age, you know these like affirmative action. And rules to consider race were absolutely, I think, 100% necessary at a given time to try to level the playing field. And the conversation we're having now is, is the time and place right now to at least re-examine these structures? Have, in, in essence, have they done their job enough that we no longer need to consider that. And I think that is a worthy conversation yeah. to have. That is not to say that, well, yeah, we solved racism. Yep, it's uh, nope, uh, you know, everybody, uh, we, we, we've figured that out and everybody gets along now, no big deal, and it's, uh, everybody's fair or square. That's not to say that that has yeah. happened. But at the same time, in institutes of higher learning, have we, are we at a place where we don't need to consider that now, no. where it is, Students who have the background and the opportunity to go to these schools are should be considered just yeah. based on the merit of yeah. uh, uh, of their grades and their extracurricular activities and every, any other thing.
4: Yeah, I think the other thing to ponder is all of these uh, mechanisms to try to le- level the playing field, as you say, are imperfect tools. I mean, we're trying right. to undo decades and centuries of, of let's face it, racism. racism we're a country that, that yep. held slaves and oppressed people and – Um, brutally kicked out Native Americans. Like, that's our history. Mm -hmm. It's not a proud history to have. And now we're trying to untangle that. And no one, much less a set of legislation, is going to unperfectly, is going to perfectly undo that. I thought it was interesting when she asked Professor Johnson if he's ever seen these examples where a student was passed over just because of the color of their skin. And, um, he he said no. I'm sure those examples are out there though. Mm -hmm. And, Oh, it's absolutely. because it's an imperfect tool it doesn't mean it's a bad tool but as we move forward i think we should continue to update the policies we have and use whatever tools we have knowing that it's not going to be a perfect fix yeah and you know we got a texter here saying
1: okay <laughs> is it well so take this example of a black kid from an inner city school therefore you should admit me how how is this different if you're a white kid from the same school you overcame the same obstacles so what has race got to do with it? If you came from a different school, why should one raise from a, a less than school be put above a, a different race kid from a different school? The version of racism is no better, no worse than the old school version of racism. Again, I, I'd go back to our previous conversation when we had about guaranteed income. It's that you, when you just assume that all things are equal in how uh, a, a black child, a black student, Coming up in an in a, in a impoverished district is this, overcame the same obstacles as a white kid from a suburban district or a rural district from a, a good school, or whatever that, that your definition of good school is, if those are, if those are equal. And I, 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 they're not equal. You can't consider those two the same you have to look at the circumstances as that someone was raised and the, the 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 life a child is born into it's they're just not the same yeah and you have to take that into consideration
4: yeah, yeah. i fully believe that and i also think that's a hard thing to hear as a parent who's trying to raise my kids a certain right. way yeah. and to know that they're going to get to some obstacle in their life and um the bar could be changing. It mm-hmm. could be a sliding scale and I, I need to be okay with that, but it's still not an easy thing to hear. 651 461
1: 226 Keep uh, your uh, conversations, uh, co- comments on that conversation coming in, but we've got much to get to. We'll revisit our uh, favorite vacation spots of 2023. Uh, people still texting those in, and I'm very jealous of some of these uh, locations that some people have been to, but it's a random review uh, and I don't know. Well, we've had some bad shows that we've watched. Uh, This one might take the cake, though. Uh, We'll get to our random review next on WCCO. it is the year 1670 i'm very lucky to have been born into nobility here in poland which is the most powerful country in the world we humans have achieved the pinnacle of development and nothing more awaits us what more could there be i'd like my peasants to believe in themselves maybe you can elaborate well
3: our lives are being put at great risk Which was God's way to punish them for inventing the telescope to spy
1: on them. Uh, That is audio uh, from uh, 1670. We fired up the random review generator yesterday, and it came on the very popular genre, Polish comedy. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know that uh, there was a high demand for Polish comedy, uh, whether on Netflix or any other streaming venue, but lo and behold, it uh, landed on 1670. Which is kind of, it's a period piece, obviously, based
4: <laughs> on the title. You don't say.
1: And it's about this uh, nobleman in Poland in 1870, or excuse me, 1670, and his kids, two sons and a daughter, mm-hmm. and kind of their, uh, their ruling and the peasants involved here. There's class structure. There's, uh, there's a breaking the fourth wall, as in like, uh, you know, like the office. Yep. Talking to the camera. Talking to the camera. Yep and i you know i frankly i had high hopes cuz i thought well okay it actually came highly recommended i saw it got pretty high score on um on rotten tomatoes uh it was lost on me so i do, and which raises a good question about the different senses of humor in different countries and i think that's where this conversation is because hmm. i feel like while there's a lot of Similarities to this be, uh, to an American comedy mm-hmm. that I think some of the comedy is lost, literally lost in translation. Because yeah. I watched the version where it was actually in Polish and I was reading the subtitles. Oh, okay. So I did not find it funny at all. Mm. And I usually am pretty open to watching, uh, you know mindless comedies, like the one we had a couple of weeks ago, the Australian one. Uh, I forget Fisk. The name. Fisk. Yeah, Fisk. I love that. Yeah, me too. And also that had, you know, elements of like a, just a different kind of cultural mm-hmm. comedy. Yep. So that came across, oh, this is Australian comedy. That. So I don't know if it's just the Polish comedy I'm not down with or just this was just a, a swing and a miss. But, yeah, I was not, not a fan of uh, 1670.
4: It's interesting that you s- talk about the – comedy being lost in translation and I I watched it with the uh, with dubbing instead of subtitles and I actually thought I don't love dubbing but I thought it was one of the better or best um, jobs of dubbing I've seen like it, it was not distracting to have really? that in there. Really? Okay. Yes. So I'd encourage you to I mean, maybe I curious. should re-watch it with the uh, Yeah with or, the or just English watch show. a few minutes and I, I do agree that a little bit You're of saying you like your lost.
1: television to speak American like everybody
4: else. Yes, yes like everyone else's yeah. TV on the planet, yeah. Um, I actually thought some of the humor was good. I liked how they so they were bringing modern references into a yeah. 16th century. So they're making you know jokes about ride sharing and whatever things that are very modern. Uh, which I thought that was funny. It reminded me of a show called The Norseman. You ever see The Norseman? It's about Vikings, and it was a was similar. It a comedy? Yes, it was a kind of like a dark comedy yep. about Vikings, and it was very. Similar in that it's like a little dry, and it's sort of done in a very modern way, but it's still a period piece. All that being said, uh, it's just not my thing. Like, yep. I, I, if it was, I think this was done pretty well, but not my thing. I will not be watching. It was tough for me to make it through the whole spirit.
1: And it was it only was like t- a half an hour. I know!
4: And and it was like, dragging okay. on, and it's just, it's the one guy's the dad... Talking to the camera a lot. Yeah. Over and over. And you go, okay, whatever. And some of the kids
1: are kind of intriguing. The backstory yeah. for the kids mm-hmm. is intriguing. But, yeah, I just – but, again, it's like, you know, British comedy is – always. people will always say, well, you know, British comedy is so different. And there is. there is. I think there is a just a different sense of humor in different countries. Yeah. I think, I mean, comedy by and large, obviously, what makes people laugh makes people laugh. Yeah. But I think there are certain sensibilities in different parts of the world – where that's how they frame yeah. their, their shows and their comedy. It's it's, it's fascinating to mm-hmm. think about because like the, I love thinking about, you know, what makes something funny? What, yeah. what, you know, what, what is a joke to one person is not to another person, but it, which I, I, I enjoy like Jennifer and I stumbled on this show called Benadorm. Mm. This is probably, was it during the, it was right at the tail of the pandemic. And I don't even know how we discovered it, but it was a, uh, very British comedy about kind of people from northern part of England who vacation in Spain, mm. in Benidorm, Spain. And it's campy and probably did some jokes that probably would be borderline nowadays, and this was back in the 2000s. But there's something about it. It's just very charming. And there's something about trying to, um, trying to f- figure out or find out what makes people laugh in other parts of the country mm, yeah. or in other parts of the world? Uh-huh. What what do they find funny that, to me, is like a learning experience about other cultures? Sure.
4: I did appreciate in, uh, again, the show is 1670. Mm-hmm. On, on Netflix. Netflix, yeah. They, a lot of the humor was sort of poking fun at the Middle Ages in that, you know, and you heard it there in the trailer, like, oh, we're, we think our slaves should have, yes. uh, you know, some dignity or whatever. But, um, they had comedy involving the class system and yes. the peasants that they had and they were reveling in how well they treated their peasants even though they treated them very poorly right. and about women and you know, we're so enlightened. We think a woman should be able to you know, marry whoever they want. They can't get an education or anything crazy like <laughs> yes, that but they right. can marry whoever they want or things yeah. like that. And I, I, that was pretty funny I thought.
1: And also the running joke too that Poland was going to be the – this global power for many many years yes. to come so the joke uh, also was on poland but if you watched it and you liked it or maybe you are way off on this you can uh, text us 6514619226 um but yeah like it, like i mean now is a time where you just especially uh, now that the holidays are over, finding a good TV show, finding a good mindless TV show is probably something.
4: We so all... what else are you on? What did you flip over to after you're done watching your homework last night?
1: Ah, uh, we see, I'm still, I'm still like, I was in the middle of, you know, we talked about the, with Tim Lammers, who will join again Friday, talked about the, uh, our favorite Christmas movies. Mm, yeah. And I finally made it through uh, my wa- annual viewing of a Christmas carol, but they did a version of a Christmas carol, like I think it was probably five years ago on FX Mm -hmm. with Guy Pierce, Okay. And it was a three-part Christmas Carol. It was like a series in three parts, but they expanded it, and it's very dark and, I mean, really dark and almost like a horror movie. And I had caught that briefly uh, over the holidays, and I really want to actually finish that. So that's like the argument. Can you still watch holiday movies even though – Christmas is over with. Yes. Can you still watch Christmas movie? And I say yes. And if you still are playing Christmas music, I say go for it. Yeah, for how long? For a couple of days. No, you can play it whenever you want. All right. February? If the mood strikes you, who am I
4: to say you can't? Uh, Are we going to play holiday music at our uh, company holiday party in late February?
1: <laughs> <laughs> ugly
4: sweaters, too. Yes. Can I we think get, we should.
1: Can we get past the ugly sweater. I, I noticed that on the, uh, the gopher game yesterday, the yeah. bowl game.
4: Oh, everybody's wearing this.
1: They're wearing ugly sweaters. It's like, okay, that seems to me like so 2015. I, uh, Haven't we moved on yes, from ugly sweater okay. parties?
4: And it. Uh, an ugly sweater party. You're supposed to go find your dad's old sweater in the back of the closet. Yeah, now and we go that. to Ragstock and, yes, and buy uh, or, or the you, ugly sweater. Or we just order them online. Order them online. Oh, online. I got to have a new ugly sweater right. every and year. And they're not ugly, they're just like beer yes. sweaters. Hey, yeah.
1: here's a sweater with beer on it. And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, let's let's
4: cancel that. Let's return that.
1: Or the uh this year they're popular it was um Jeffrey Dahmer Christmas sweater. Yes. Get over it. Also the play-by-play guy yesterday, the bowl game Connor O'Nion Really? Never heard of that, but that was his name, Connor Onion. (laughs) That's quite a name.